We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome to another Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, we've got James, Paul and Tim discussing the 2-1 victory at home to Burnley in the FA Cup, which sees us now drawing against Hull City at home, which is a, a great draw. A draw that I'd bite your hand off for at this stage. Any home match would have been good at this point. Against the Championship Club? Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm sure everyone will as well. Even more so now that Chelsea have been drawn against Man City. So good. One of those will get knocked out. Good if both of them could be knocked out at the same time. But yeah. As for the game itself, yeah, we weren't at our, our fluent best. But what do you expect? Made a lot of changes. A lot of players coming in haven't played football for quite a while. In one case, hasn't played for Arsenal at all. All that considered, I thought we'd done reasonably well. I thought we played a lot better than we have done for a few weeks. I know it was against a championship club at home. So sort of to be expected. But they were doing well in, in their league and scored a lot of goals, blah, 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 blah. I enjoyed Mohamed Elneny's debut. I thought he fits in really well. He works really hard. Works hard to win the ball back as well, which I liked, which I mentioned in my in my review. Francis Cockerden's back in the team. Looks a bit rusty, but it's just great to have him there. Um, hopefully he'll get sharp quickly now. It wasn't our best performance defensively. I think that was quite clear. We made a lot of changes. A new goalkeeper, a new right back, another centre back and a new left back, so... That's bound to happen, I suppose, but it doesn't really matter as long as we get through, and we've done just that. So, a wonder goal from Callum Chambers. Alexis Sanchez back on the score sheet and playing well. Uh, good performances from Gibbs, Chamberlain, Iwobi, and the new side El Nini. And um, we're through, so things are looking good. It's going to be really interesting what Arsene does on Tuesday, though, um, with all our players back now. Uh, some players needing games, as they've been out for a while. Any anyway, we can get fitters to have games and uh, our players to return as well. So 
going to be interesting to see how he does it and who who plays in midfield mainly, I suppose. That's the real question mark. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Nothing much to grumble about. Uh, so, yeah, enjoy the podcast and be back after Southampton on Tuesday. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Podcast. This is Paul, or Paz, and I'm joined today by Tim and James. Elliot can't make it, or so he says. Uh, I suspect he might be off being a podcast whore somewhere, probably over with those Arsecast America hussies. Now, the only real issue with that is none of the rest of us know how to operate Elliot's deep pit of despair. I mean, sure, he left us some written hand notes, something about yanking some levers, twiddling some knobs, but, uh, you know, it's a scary piece of apparatus with the giant cogs and the spikes and the chains... So uh, we'll give it our best go, but we're not quite sure how it'll turn out. And finally, before we start, a little bonus add-on for your uh, special edition DVD here of the pod. Um, James likes to have a glass before the show starts to settle his nerves. So uh, we're getting ready, and the next thing we hear this plonk, plonk, plonk as his glass fills up. I promised I was going to splice that into the pod to embarrass him but I don't think it will but anyway here's James filling his glass before we get started a hundred times so I'll save you that <laughs> oh that was good um, that was good James Let's. Let, was that you pouring the glass there uh, yes it was why was that was that quite loud <laughs> I, I think what I'm going to do is splice that into the uh, pod recording somewhere <laughs> That was really good. And I did. Right, on with the pod. So on the pod today, we have a special guest joining us, a celebrity, James. How are you doing today, James? Hello, I'm doing well. How are you, Paul? Great. We really, really appreciate you having you on the show today. So really, thanks for taking some time out. Such an honor to be invited Yep. Yes, I mean, it's a prestigious uh, yep. Yep. podcast and all, so excited al- to be on. And alongside James, we have our regular guest appearance from Tim. Welcome, Tim. Hello there. Hello, listeners. <laughs> no, but seriously, Tim Stillman, Stilberto, uh, Ars Blog column. He He's on the... Twitter sphere and blogosphere, what El Nenny was on the pitch yesterday, everywhere doing everything. Thanks for joining us today, as usual, Tim. Always a pleasure. Good, good, good. So, um, you guys were both at the game uh, yesterday. Um, it, it, it seemed like, to me, it was a funny game from my sofa. It was, I really enjoyed the snot out of it. I thought it was a really good game. Um, not sure what the TV coverage did in terms of the audio, but it seemed very kind of quiet, muted from an atmosphere standpoint, which kind of mm-hmm. was a mismatch for me in terms of the spectable, spectacle on the pitch, which I found quite an entertaining, evolving game. What, um, maybe start with you, Tim. What were your thoughts on the overall game as relates to kind yeah. of its interplay with the atmosphere? Yeah, it it was even quieter than usual and there were more empty seats than usual and a lot more people than usual left with five, ten minutes to go. 
Mm. Um, which I think just to be a symptom of the fact that actually the FA Cup doesn't really mean that much to people anymore. Um, I think there's a lot of grandstanding around the issue, but um, I think that, you know it kind of shows for itself when you've got quite a quiet game. Didn't feel like there was an awful lot of tension around because I don't think you really get the impression that people were really pumped up um, by this competition uh, like they used to be. We also, you know, Burnley didn't quite take um, the full allocation that you can take for an FA Cup game. And actually, that's, that's something else that shows um, the kind of dimin- it, its diminishment in, in people's eyes. In fact, I can't remember too many ties this season um, looking around the competition where, where supporters have taken their full allocations, where you're seeing you know, six, 7,000 away fans. And that's always what made, what made mm-hmm. um, FA Cup atmospheres very, very special, the kind of increased away allocation. But we're not really seeing it. And um, to, to kind of top it off, the Burnley fans were singing um, the FA Cup, who gives a fuck, we see Burnley and we're going up. <laughs> um, so that, and that, you would have thought, of... I, mean, I mean, whatever about us being blasé, I guess I would yeah. have imagined this would be a big fucking deal for Burnley. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess for them, um, they've been in the Premier League, you know, a couple of times. That they've played us in the cup a couple of times, so it's it's a little bit old hat, really. Um, I suppose, and they they are in the middle of a good league run, and they probably didn't really expect to get anything here. And um, fuck them. I, I don't think they worry too. Yeah, they don't worry too much. Exactly. Um, we did our job. Um, the game, I agree with you, I thought it was a very enjoyable game. I thought Burnley, I think in the FA Cup, what you want is you want a team that's threatened by relegation from the Premier League at home, like Sunderland. That's, I think that's the ideal draw because those teams are low on confidence and they don't care about the Cup, um, frankly. So, Whereas if you play a championship team that's near the top of the table and in good form, um, usually... They've got a bit of confidence to them, and the players want to test themselves mm. um, against Premier League opposition. And uh, I thought the two Burnley forwards yesterday, Vokes and Gray, um, I thought that was a, a very good audition. Um, bit of a by fucking them. handful, they weren't they? Yeah, yeah, it was very, very traditional, old school, little and large partnership. Um, it worked very well and gave us a lot of problems actually. And I think those those two. I know Sam Vokes has been kicking around for a few years. And has played in the Premier League before, but that to me, um, it, I suppose it reminded me a little bit of um, Igalo and Troy Deeney at Watford. Mm, yeah, um, that very kind of traditional old school front two pairing that seems to be coming back into fashion now. Yeah, and uh, I thought Koscielny and Gabriel didn't deal with them brilliantly. Yeah, um, that said, we we had enough, and I thought we would have enough. I I went for a two-one. The game went pretty much as I thought it would. And ultimately, it was Alexis Sanchez just had too much quality um, for Burnley in the end. I think he really made the difference in what was a fairly 7 out of 10 performance. Mm-hmm. Interesting. James? Paul? What were your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, it's funny because, I mean, you know, Tim obviously is able to shed more light on this given the amount of games he goes to. But it did strike me as somewhat of a, a friendly, almost exhibition atmosphere. Um, I mean, first off, it was. I generally struggle these days, especially while the team is doing quite well, um, to acquire home tickets. 
Um, and it was incredibly easy to get hold of a ticket for this one. I mean, there, there were so many seats um, available, and I was extremely fortunate to uh, go with Guna Day of 66. He's a uh, uh, I've had an excellent time. He's a great chap. Shout out um, to Dave. Shout out indeed. Um, and but even still, like the whole atmosphere of the game was, uh, you know, it wasn't even just that it was quieter than uh, usual. It was just like a a real. I mean, it was just encompassed under some. Honestly, it, I, I'm not even sure if like an Emirates Cup vibe would have been too different, frankly. Um, no one seemed to care that much when we conceded, and that, you know there were Ooh. there were some there were there were some moments. But honestly, I'm not even sure if that's because of a lack of care of the cup. I think it was almost just people were you know in, incredibly confident that the game was going to be won either way. It was um, a bit holiday atmosphere, wasn't it? No, it really was, and I I honestly not, I'm not even convinced. I think they would have you know if we'd actually been. You know, if we were going, if we went behind in the game, and you know, the game, you know, past sort of seventy minutes, I think people would have to get really worried. I'm not sure if it was a, a, a total sort of blasé attitude to the FA Cup as a whole. I think it was honestly like a self-entitled kind of like, you know, we're Arsenal, um, good squad playing, you know, playing Burnley at home, we've been very successful in the cup the last two seasons. Like we're going to win this game, um, irrespective of the recent results and. Um, the chop and change, which you know, you know, fair enough. We should be dispatching Burnley um, mm. to a certain degree, but you know, I was a little. I, I found I, I got a little frustrated with you know some of the chance where we're going to Wembley. Um, you know, she wore, was already coming out, and I know people kind of just you know the, the genuine reason is people just kind of like the ring to the, to those chance and like it's uh, you know it's part of the FA Cup, but like if people actually sort of take a step back and understand what it is they're actually singing during the game. Um, I thought it was actually pretty pathetic. Um, you know, we've we've still got a we've still got another. Was it quarterfinals next? Is it or is it last sixteen? Um, uh, round of four. So, uh, or, or next round is round, round yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you know, still still a long way to go to get to Wembley. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of good teams in it. And I, yeah, and a, you know, especially you know relative to the last couple of years, we we've had a, a good amount of cup sets. Um, so. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, I, I was actually really disenchanted with that. I would, do, you know, I, I didn't really like the fans that were so keen to to start bringing out that chant. I'm not sure if it was yeah. meant in, it, I mean, it certainly wasn't meant in any form of malice, etc. But it, it just, yeah, it was a little, it, it was yeah. quite poor. So I think that kind of represented the type of atmosphere that it was. Mm. Well, I guess it is what it is. Uh, the shame of it is, you know, the FA Cup some years ago was what hooked a lot of people into the excitement of football. I mean, it hooked me into supporting Arsenal, gold digger that I was as a little kid, uh, winning the FA Cup and watching that team was kind of what sucked me in. And I know it's the same for a lot of people who don't necessarily come from local. So it is a bit of a shame. But uh, on the other hand, I guess the other thing I felt was for Arsenal in particular yesterday was a very important uh, game. Obviously, we'd had the Chelsea upset, and, and Wenger had talked about this being an opportunity to get back on the positives quickly, and it worked with me. I don't know if it worked with the squad and the su- supporters in the club in general, but I completely forgot about the Chelsea game by the time that was all done. Uh, it was also a very important outing for certain players. Um, Tim, What's mm. your take on the significance of the game from a, a player's standpoint? I mean, there's there's one or two very obvious players that come to mind when you think about um, 
why that game was a big deal, but uh, and El Neni mm. being chief among them, so uh, I, I'll let you kick that off. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's very useful for them. It's very useful in terms of getting a victory after um, you know a relatively long time without one, and uh, that's a bit of a building block. Um, it was useful for players that came back, like Alexis, like Francis Coquelin. Um, you know, the the one time the atmosphere really did uh, rise uh, during the whole day was when Thomas Rosicki came on, mm. an incredibly popular player, and uh, very rightly so, um, someone who's really thought of very, very highly by Arsenal fans. And, uh, you know, if, if the news we're getting today is true, that he's had another setback, then that's, that's a real, real shame. Very sad. Um, and, and if the Wiltshire yeah. news is true too, it kind of goes to the the importance yesterday of those players who came back and those players who performed, I think, overall pretty well. That's really kind yeah. of, for me, the significance of yesterday was we're kind of seeing the boys there. Uh, you know, there are a few. Mo- there were the obvious guys on the on the bench arrested, Ramsey, Ozil, etc. But this is yeah. that was really kind of the extent of our full squad, especially for midfield for the run in, getting their. You know, you had Alexis back. You had Coquelin. I'm amazed Coquelin's back this quick. It, it, yeah. So Wenger talked about Coquelin. Uh, after yesterday, I think he was maybe a little surprised, even how fit he was, in that he said he'd looked, you know, really fit enough to play at Chelsea. He just wanted to be cautious. But there was a tone of, had I known he was going to be this at it, uh, may, yeah. maybe I might have considered it. Not that it would have changed a red card for Purr, but anyway. No, absolutely. And um, it's very, very useful for those players. Very useful game for Alex Awobi as mm. well, um, who who really didn't look out of place at no. all. And um, I, I I might be preempting a listener question that I I yeah. saw um, on my timeline, but <laughs> go for it. I'll, um, I'll dig about... you. You answer the question. I'll <laughs> dig out the name. <laughs> um, it was it was Calvin, I think, who asked um, who who should be the backup to Özil at number ten, and that's mm. actually a very very good question because Rosicki's out. We're hearing. Wilshire's out, Cazorla's out. Um, you know, you look at it, there's not many players left that can play that role. And um, Iwobi traditionally has been either a striker or a winger. Um, but I, I think I said on the Sunderland pod for the last round, I thought it was quite a clever decision to make him the number 10, where, you know, he has slightly, it's the, ni- it's the kind of the nicest position to play on the pitch. Everyone wants to play as a number 10 because you have a lot of freedom and you have a lot less responsibility. And actually, I think that's kind of suited a young player coming into the team um, where he doesn't have to play with the same kind of structure um, and maybe even pressure that he might have to if he was playing anywhere else in the front three. And um, Yeah, it's a great know, point. That very the, good yesterday. The, the other side of that coin, though, is you can be a massive albatross around the team's neck at the number 10 if you're not performing it's kind of all roads mm. pass through Rome kind of thing absolutely and actually something um, I've, I've not really seen in his game before he actually reminded me a little bit of Thomas Rosicki yesterday in that and he really showed this on, on our second goal in how um, how kind of energetic he was he doesn't look like an energetic player he looks quite languid but actually he moves very very quickly and uh, if you see in the build-up to the second goal, it's something he did all day. He kind of 
that very simple thing that makes Rosicki so popular is that he passes the ball and then he moves his the pass arm and very, run. very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Exactly, and, and Iwobi did that, and, and he had two passes, I think, in the build-up to to the second goal, so he got involved, he had one in his own half, and then he ran forward and got involved again, um, and, and you know, that's classic number 10 play, isn't it, like yeah. linking, linking your midfield and your attack, and you know, he was getting the ball off a defender, and then three seconds later, he's getting it off of a forward, and making a pass into the box, and um, you know, he, he's... He at least figures in the conversation um, now when you're talking about who's the backup to Ozil. Um, it'd be interesting to see how much more of a role he plays this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the Rosicki comment once or twice about uh, Iwobi. It seemed to, uh, to take on some legs. And, you know, my first reaction is I can't think visually of a player who's less Rosicki. But. Mm. You know, when the coin dropped about kind of his pass and run thing, um, it's like, yeah, he, he really does have that that dynamism, that switch of play, the run on that makes space. Um, he's a very exciting player. And when you think, you know, the lessons to be learned, was it uh, Sheffield Wednesday? He was part of that, uh, the, the young boys who were written off as... Uh, uh, emblematic of an Arsenal Academy generation that had absolutely crapped out. I think Hayden was playing as well that day. And uh, everybody wrote them off as shit. <laughs> and he's had a, a few games since then, minutes and games, uh, where he's like really performed to the point where you're like, you want to see more of him on the pitch. Um, I thought he was so. Yeah, surprisingly, he was one of the ones who stuck out for me. And I think you know we actually have a couple of questions around Uwobi and the uh, his role for us going forward. So I think he's caught the eye. Um, James, I'll give you the El Neni uh, topic, um, probably the juiciest of the day. How do you feel about mm-hmm. him on the day, and uh, how did that change? We all had this picture of El Nenny without really having seen him. Did he, he changed my opinion of what I thought he was? My off scant evidence. Uh, wh- what did you think of him, and what did he change of your your the picture you went into the game of him as? Um, I think he did relatively match the kind of um, opinions we were hearing of him based off. Um, what Arsenal had discussed related mm. to the fact that he's a somewhat defensive-minded player, but a box-to-box player. Um, we'd heard a lot about you know, his ability on the ball, um, his energy, his ability to to run continuously over the course of a full ninety minutes. Um, he's mobile, exactly. You know, he's he's got a tall frame. He's he's not someone that you know act, well, just based off that ninety minutes. He didn't seem to be someone that was actively trying to continue uh, to continuously demonstrate like his 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 brute force or his strength um in the way that he shaped his body but he's you know he's he's a big big lad with a big frame that's a, that has that ability to um to win those types of challenges he adds that uh, you know a separate dynamic that um perhaps around he doesn't quite add in in that box to box position um you know he's got quite a good frame for someone who, who if he were positioned in you know even in in the Cockerland spot although i'm not you know based on that performance I'm, i don't you didn't really get a great feel for um how robust the sort of tackling and, and pure defensive work necessarily is mm. um but you know i thought 
I thought he seemed a little tentative at the beginning of the game. I think it took him a little while to really get into the flow, which is, um, I think, is natural and to be expected, especially of a player that, um, you know, from his type of origins, he, you know, he's done well, but, you know, at a, a smaller club like that of Barzad, and although they were a successful club, you know, I'm sure mentally go, come, you know, coming into a team like Arsenal, whatever, however confident you are, however, you know, strong your mentality is, you, you're going to be question, you're going to be questioning yourself, like, you know, can I, um, am I good enough? Is this is this a, a team that I deserve to be in? And you want to demonstrate that. And I think um, I think it required him a little time to to get comfortable. And I think that that sort of aligned with um, the voices coming from from Arson about the the need to slow to ease him in. Yeah, um, Arson said really... something very funny, um, which I thought was borderline racist. I don't know if you heard this about Middle Eastern players. And I mean, it was all very complimentary, but it's kind of one of those things that made me feel a little uncomfortable um, where he started talking about how, you know, with Middle Eastern players, they have less power and more mobility and stamina. I'm like, okay, careful here. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you when you look back at the stats and you can really see that in the game was. Um, a his willingness to pick up the ball in the middle, and uh, you know, a lot seems to go through him. His, his distribution, although you know a little edgy at the beginning, his first touch, his uh, you know the quickness with which he he um, he, he spread the ball, etc. But as, as he got into it, you could see. I mean, his he, he came across a very steady player um, on the ball. Is you know the ability to retain possession of the ball both in your own half and going forward, and um, you could really see if you were to bring him into a team. Um, Perhaps alongside Ramsey, but you know, certainly alongside Cochrane too, was um, a player that really added a certain sort of press to from from the front and and, and in the middle of the park. Um, his he has a great propensity to take a shot on as well. I mean, he would pick up the ball um, quite regularly, um, not too far outside the box, and um, spraying it from left left to right, and and, and keeping the the pace of the, the game up while also. Offering that option to to have a go at um, at goal, and his technique seemed, even though he, he had a few, he had a few shots that were you know, pretty much um, at, you know under the goalie's throw and a couple just wide. You could see from the technique of his shot, you know, he's a confident shooter. He's someone that poses a bit of a threat from distance, and you wouldn't be too surprised with with a good, with a good number of games if if he bagged one or two from there. Mm. Um, and he he just seemed like quite a good, all, you know, a, a very solid all round player. And, you don't know, you know, if if that can even progress into into something superior with more confidence and more games with the team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, his touch was very strong. His ability to win the ball back, his ability to press, his ability to to distribute. Um, and while you know, whilst I don't think he did anything you know, particularly ma- magnificent as such, he wasn't like a you know, you know, I don't think you're going to expect any sort of Alexi or um, or Özil magic necessarily. Um, Albeit, despite a, a lack of great knowledge of the player, um, I think he, I think he really did suit what what people were hoping to see from him. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all that if he were the more defensive of the two midfielders for him to to form quite a symbiotic relationship with that of uh, of Aaron. And I thought him and Cochrane worked out quite well together. So it was, yeah. it was certainly a promising performance. Tim, um, there was no sense in which he and Cochrane were tripping over each other to be mm. to play the DM role, which I guess maybe a week or two ago, I thought might have been the issue there. And certainly, so Linus, um, on chatting to us on WhatsApp, had been pr- 
mooting a uh, El Neni cock uh, partnership in midfield potentially for the future before this game. And uh, I initially poo pooed it, as they used to say. Um, but having seen that performance, I'm like, yeah, they're not tripping over each other's uh, feet. I was also very impressed how uh, how he dropped deep to pick up the ball, moved it around, always dynamic, all, very quick to find his the pass to the next player. What were your takes on his performance uh, in, I guess, what you could call the Ramsey-type role? Absolutely, and I, I think um, before the game, Benga said, you know, he's a box-to-box player. Yeah. Um, and I think it's becoming more and more apparent that he hasn't been bought to be, you know, the DM. Mm. Um, it looks more and more, to, or as a backup to Coquelin even, it looks more and more to me like he's been bought as a kind of backup to Cazorla um, and perhaps to try and do some of the things that Cazorla brings to that role. So, you know, Cazorla has been playing a bit deeper, but you wouldn't call him, you know, a defensive midfielder. He's more of a playmaker. Um, and I think it's it's clear that El Nenny will be happy to pick up the ball off of his centre halves and things like that, but he'll only be a defensive midfielder in the attacking sense, if that makes sense. He's not going to be the Coquelin, the one who's there to break play up and get the ball back. Um, I think he's more likely going to be just that guy that um, helps us to make to to create the play from a slightly deeper position and. Um, and like James, one thing I have seen um, from him, from you know YouTube compilations and whatnot, it does look like he has quite a good shot on him. And um, we saw him kind of chance his arm a few times uh, from range. And yeah. um, so it's actually quite interesting. I, I saw this graphic this morning um, about typically where Arsenal players shoot from. And it, it looks like it's a real kind of a coaching decision, as it were. But... Um, Arsenal players don't shoot unless they're like within the goal frame. Um, yeah. They tend to wait until they're right in front of goal, um, which you know, which made Callum Chambers' goal um, all, all the more impressive, really. Mm. Um, and and Elneny certainly seems uh, to to kind of to fit into that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's just looking more and more like you know he has been bought to cover a few positions, to cover a few players, maybe. I can't see him being the most defensively-minded midfielder of our midfield three, um, other than maybe for home games against you know, teams lower in the league who are going to set up to, to try and frustrate us. Um, yeah. I think that more often than not, he'll be in that kind of number eight role, um, really. And I thought, I thought he looked quite lively. You know, yeah. he's, he's not played for... He was exciting, wasn't so. he? He was so more. He was, yeah. he was more exciting than I expected him. You know, whatever your expectations are, mine were that he wasn't going to be quite that exciting to watch. I was like, "Give me, give me some more." Yeah, yeah. No, I, I thought it was. Um, it, it was a good kind of seven out of ten debut. Um, I think, and it, I think most of our players yesterday had kind of seven out of ten days. Um, but yeah, I, I I certainly I enjoyed his performance and uh, look forward to seeing a bit more um, once he's a little bit more up to speed. Um, but yeah, I, I put it this way: I didn't see anything that concerned me about yeah. his game. Yeah. So um, let's talk a, a little bit the 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 flow of the game. Um, Tim Arson talked about us starting well and them not really coming into 
the game until their goal. Um, I mean, I think they came to play. It's just they were. It's fine margins, isn't it? It was. They were just a little bit off. They weren't managing to block our passing channels. We were playing pretty fluidly. It all looked pretty easy. Um, can you talk us through the early section and into the first goal, the Callum Chambers? It was interesting as well. Uh, Wenger talking about Chambers does that kind of shit in practice all the time. And it, yeah. in fact, I think before that he had a bit of a thunder bastard blast from from distance, and he put his head in his hands. I mean, he really thought that thing was Lots. right on track. Yeah. Uh, somebody got in it the was, way. It was, yeah, it was on target. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, th- I think um, kind of the opening of the game. Um, what I'd read about Burnley's approach is that they're quite, you know, standoffish. They have the two banks of four, but they don't really hunt for you with the ball. Um, actually, I thought that mm. played into our hands a little bit in the first half an hour yeah. or so, and um, the goal didn't feel like a surprise or anything. Like we were passing through them, I thought quite well. Um, and then when they equalised, we really, really seemed to kind of go into our shell, which surprised me because I thought when they equalised, I thought okay, and and they had you know they had looked quite dangerous going forward, but I thought well we we're still getting through them and we're passing through them and we're able to find angles so. I wasn't that worried, but we it, it really seemed to drop off because I, I thought we had we had a very promising start. Um, that said, defensively, I, I think we we looked a little bit open um, with their front two. I don't think we handled them particularly well, and really they should have gone one nil up. Had uh, Gray, he he kind of went through and he really should have squared it to Sam Vokes, and he didn't. Yeah. And um, you quite often see that in these games in the FA Cup because guys want to make an impression and they want to score themselves. I just watched Everton Carlisle this afternoon and Carlisle striker Asamoa, possibly the most selfish performance I've ever seen from <laughs> anyone. And, and I believe you've seen Ado Bayor play at some stage. Yeah, so. yeah. He was just banging at a goal from all angles and just completely annoying his teammates because... He wanted to score a goal on the telly, and um, I think there was perhaps a little bit of that in Andre Gray, whereas if, if he'd been playing a championship game there, I, I fully believed he'd have squared that for Sam Vokes, but he, he just wanted to kind of make a name for himself. Um, but yeah, after they equalised, it really went into a lull, and um, I thought Burnley you know, finished the half much more strongly than we did, and, and that half-time came at a good time for us, really. Yeah. It was a uh... It was a nice first goal, though. Uh, particularly, well, it will be very involved in it, as we t- talked about. Um, cl- clever, patient play, and then uh, Alexis finding the gap between the dude's legs to nutmeg him with the pass, and Callum and usually, picking up, yeah. And quite often, as well with Alexis, that you know, it was a lovely little nutmeg and a great pass, but quite often with Alexis, that that that's kind of a frustrating side to his game because quite often that that pass just gets rolled straight into the defender mm. um and we you know we did see that five or six times yesterday as well but that's just yeah that's part of the deal with Alexis and this is just one time where trying to make the kind of the clever forward pass really paid off for him which makes the five or six times it doesn't work out you know it makes them much less significant because he keeps trying it yeah, absolutely. Um, so, James, um, well, what was your take on after the goal? 
personally, I kind of thought the one thing they hadn't done before the goal, Burnley, uh, was they just they weren't anticipating our passing lanes. They were helping us look good because we were good, uh, but they weren't by sitting back a little bit too much. They weren't disrupting us. I mean, this was a a, a experimental team with nine changes, albeit many of those nine have played a, a reasonable role for us some, so far. And they they kind of broke up the play with fouls, but they didn't really break up the the uh, the live action so well. They kind of sat back to some degree, and then after the goal, they kind of they did a little bit more to block the passing channels and to get out and into us uh, in general. What was your reading after the goal? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with a lot of what you said. I I think the tight, you know, I think comparisons were made between that of uh, Burnley and Leicester, and that um, they actually, like, statistically speaking, in the championship, they haven't taken a large quantity of shots. Um, their possession tends to percentages tend to be quite low, um, but they're uh, relying upon sort of high conversion rates. Um, they sort of probably the, you know, the combination between Vokes and Gray and how efficient Gray has been going forward and the way that they're able to counter against sides. Um, you know, but frankly, the it, we even saw it when we played Leicester. It's it's a kind of style that, especially if you're not harrying and pressing us consistently for the full 90 minutes and you you know you you're working your socks off to to reduce the space in in your own third as 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 much as you can and really constrain us in the center of the the pitch and you know as Tim sort of alludes to in, in directly in front of the frame of the goal and, and moving sort of uh forward in that direction pushing us out wide um making it quite narrow then you know we we're a team that's very happy to, to pass the ball from side to side, are very content to retain that ball um, just outside the penalty area and, and, and just sort of work through and, and wait for those spaces to arise, um, which is very much what happened with with the Chambers goal. You actually had three players um, around Alexis, but because they stood off, he was able to pick an, um, a quite simple pass, albeit you know, uh, it was made to look quite nice given it went through uh, the Burnley defender's legs and Chambers was in a lot of space in the penalty area, and it, I mean, a remarkable finish uh, with the outside of his foot. Honestly, like if, if I mean, I, I, I don't think what we'd be saying if you know an Awobi or uh, you know or, or an Alexis in a different way, you know, if, if an attacking player was to score that type of goal, um, because it was a real demonstration of, of incredible technique. And I think Arsen talks about it in the press conference. So you know, he said you know you'd be something to the effect of you'd be surprised that Chambers is actually a he shows in training that he's a he's quite a good finisher, um, and it was a finish with a lot of confidence. You know, what for the first time outside of the book, it, outside of the foot, it was quite Rosicky like. I think uh, um, not with quite the the power you would expect Rosicky to probably strike it with, but it was you know it was a really delicious effort um, and quite remarkable for a right back come sort of defensive midfielder. And it was a nice um, little celebration. You could see that uh, Chamberlain and Gibbs they really. <laughs> really uh, enjoyed uh, Chambers' goal. There was a nice little moment over in the corner celebrating with them. Yeah. The small yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. All the English lads were absolutely loving it. I mean, yeah. there, was talk of, there was talk after the game of uh, Callum starting to call himself Canaldo or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> fair play to him. Actually, you know, on that topic, 
Akpom's post-match interview was honestly adorable. Oh, really? Because he got that hat trick for Hull, yeah. And so, did I say Akpom? I meant Iwobi. Um, so, Iwobi's post-match oh. interview was, was absolutely adorable. Um, I don't know, it was just like, he, he just seems like, you know, like, very like genuine, like he's a super, you know, he seems obviously like very excited by the opportunity he has. You know, he's quite a humble guy. Um, but I think the last question was something along the lines of, you know, like, are you, are you dreaming about uh, making it to Wembley? And you can imagine if Aaron Ramsey was asked the same question, it would be something along the lines of, yeah, you, you know, we just take it one game at a time and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see you, we'll see what the next draw is and uh, we'll take it from there. And uh, it woke me. It was like, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, I'm buzzing. Like, it's just something we all dream about. We just hope, you know, just hoping that if we get there, it's just going to, you know, be a dream come true. <laughs> but it's just sort of taking everything in, in the moment. It was just a, such a genuine response. And, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, you just see, I mean, he seems like a great guy. And I know it's a, a slight aside, but uh, um, no, great talent to watch as well. So, yeah, I mean, having strayed somewhat from the point going back I, I do think it was a style that suited us quite well and albeit a lot of changes a lot of uh, it, it was a game that came I think at a very good time I was saying before the game it was a really good time to, to play Burnley I think Arsenal had looked at this fixture as one like you know this is where I, I can give Alexi the likes of Coppola and the ability for El Nene to finally um, start easing him into into the English game um, you know maybe you, you're looking at Iwobi as someone who you know genuinely might have if if needed, if you know, it, it would be a little worst case scenario. I think if we felt we had to be starting Wobi in the Premier League, but you know, it, it, it gives him further confidence. And it, it was another demonstration that the squad is actually when uh, when we're not in sort of crisis period, it's actually a, a very uh, very well rounded squad to the point where you think you know if one player comes in, so player comes in for another in in certain positions, it doesn't really hamper you that much. Um, and offers you something different. So, you know, that was a very promising part of the yeah. game. I thought we looked very good yesterday. Um, on the one I've, hand... I've you... got a... yeah. Sorry, if I can just cut in. Um, I've, I've got a question for you guys that we were that some friends and I were discussing um, in the pub after the game. And uh, we, were, we were split kind of down the middle on this. Would you take Chelsea... We're recording this before the draw's been made, and the draw would have been made by the time it comes out. So... Um, would you take Chelsea at home in the next round? See, two of us were of the opinion that we would, and I would, um, as a kind of very quick chance to mm. right um, some of the wrongs of our games against Chelsea this season. I think mentally it might be a good thing for the team to play them um, at home and to try and beat them. Um, whereas if we don't play them again till next season, I worry that that mental thing is going to drag out a little bit. But if they get a quick chance to put it right, I think they might be up for it. But then, understandably, a couple of other people in my group were like, no, absolutely, just want to avoid them at all costs. So I'm interested to know what, what you guys think, whether you whether you'd take that as a good draw or a terrible one. I think it entirely depends on what the result is. If we win them, it's if we win it, it's brilliance. If we lose, we might fuck ourselves for the, the season because we'll really be proving that uh, we can't get past them and it might derail our... Uh, I, I think my preference would be caution in the sense that, uh, you know, I'd prefer if we, like, won the league then played them as champions next year. That would be my formula for how you overturned the hoodoo. But... Um, 
Uh, I know where you're going. If it were to turn out right, I think it would be a brilliant uh, move and plan. But if you lose, you know, losing's not good. So uh, yeah, and it's also, me, it might confirm the bias. Sorry, Tim, it's also the, the, the scheduling as well is probably important here because it comes just before we play Barca and Manchester United. Yeah. Uh, the fifth round weekend, so... I mean, obviously, in, a, in an ideal world, we have a slightly easier opposition at home in the next round, and then in the quarters, you you get a Chelsea at home. That's that would be fine. I think in the you know, if you're assessing it, you know, before you can actually look in hindsight and and see where the result takes you. I think a home fixture against Chelsea isn't one I'd be too unhappy with. Um, you know, I think you 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 given the kind of teams you're now seeing left in the competition, you pretty much you prefer to take a home. A home game against nearly anyone in the um, in the Premier League than having to go to you know ha- having away game against some of the Premier League sides still in it. Um, maybe not quite in this round. I, I haven't quite seen the, the sort of the full extent of just how many uh, sort of poorest teams there are left in the competition. Um, but I think I think certainly a quarter final fixture at home to Chelsea would be one that I would quite relish. I mean, I still I don't actually I'm. I was at the game. I, I still actually need to listen to the pod, so apologies. But um, you know, I don't think Chelsea were actually that good. I don't, I don't think we were very good at all either. I mean, we were terrible actually. But as an aside, I don't. I still don't rate Chelsea that highly. And I think um, I think it would be a good opportunity for us because I'd still have us down as as favourites. Um, you know, mentality and and all um, all of that aside. So um, so yeah. I, you know, in an ideal world, a quarter-final home fix against Chelsea would actually be quite nice. Assuming, assuming the kind of teams that you'd expect to still be in the competition at that stage. Uh, and to give Tim's question a fairer shot than asking what the result is first, I guess the only thing I would ask in advance is, do we keep eleven men on the pitch? Because um, <laughs> that, you know, now I'm interested. Um, I'd probably still be cautious on it, but that gets it close. If we can play them. W- with uh, 11 men on the field. Uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from on that. So, um, f- from the grave, <coughs> Elliot asked us on WhatsApp, uh, well, he really kind of addressed the fragile defense issue, which uh, I guess I had my own thoughts on and share them with him. But, uh, Tim, once again, a goal from across... Now, you know, we're changing our defence all the time, and this was a, a, you could say, a new-look defence, so there's that factor. But once again, a cross into the spot where Purr would have been pretty much. um, Kind of, there's some irony there in that he was the villain last week, but I think most people would agree at 6 foot uh, 14 inches, uh, he probably would have been a good position at that particular moment to avoid a goal, but what are your thoughts in general on on whether yesterday talked to our f- defensive fragility, if we really have a, fr- a defensive fragility, or is that just the variation over the last few weeks because of the, you know, the midfield issue, etc.? Talk us through. I've, yeah, yeah, I, I think it is a little bit of that. I think. Um, what strikes me is at the moment, and I think it's a deliberate tactic, we don't work very hard to stop crosses coming in. Um, and I understand why that is. If, um, 
you go back and watch the breakdown of uh, Adrian Clark's breakdown of the Manchester City game, he highlights how often Arsenal pushed Man City out wide and let them put crosses in. And pair that day in terms of clearances, just hundreds of them. Basically, we were just let we were just saying to City, "Go on, then pump the ball in the box, and we'll get rid of it." People um, say that, that Per, sorry Tim, people say Per doesn't jump, and that Per doesn't win headers. And I think they're thinking about two to three years ago, when even I was a bit frustrated that a lad that big wasn't winning that many headers, but doesn't relate yeah. to what I've seen in the last, I don't know, two years. Yeah, I, it's weird with Peck because I don't actually think he's brilliant in the air in terms of, you know, he's very, very tall, but he, he hasn't got a great jump on him. Um, and usually it's just pure height. But um, the thing is with him is his positioning is usually so good that, you know, he doesn't really have to go and attack a ball. He kind of tends to read where it goes very, very, you know, very, very wisely, very, very well. Um, and, you know, Gabriel really got caught for the goal. And you wouldn't say he's weak in the air. He's good at attacking the ball, but he just got caught underneath it. Um, yeah. And it was, a, it was a really, really good header um, as well. It was a very good cross and a very good header. Yeah. But we, we are suffering on crosses at the moment into the, into the box. And I do wonder maybe if we have to rethink what I believe to be a deliberate strategy of just allowing crosses to come in. Because um, you can say the same about the Chelsea goal, yeah. you know, uh, Monreal yeah. jogs out uh, to I think it was William who put in the cross that Diego. Yeah. It, it was a low cross that uh, Costa met, but still it was kind of soft, and they put a cross in from the other side as well that went right through the box. And um, I, I do also find myself often when I look back at not. That particular incident, but as you said, this Burnley goal—you look at it and you say that was a bloody good cross. And so yeah. often with the with the goals, I'm like, yeah, uh, we let in a lot of uh, goals off crosses and headers, but that was a bloody good cross, which makes yeah. me think. It goes back to the point of we're maybe letting them look good on these crosses because we're not putting enough pressure on the the crosser. Yeah, and I think Indeed. also actually on on the Mertesacker point, and so if you talked about his positioning, I think although he sometimes looks a little, you know, in the way that he attacks the ball, etc., like sometimes you feel like he could be even stronger than he is. But frankly, I, I think to that point, Paul, I think Mertesacker is the kind of player, given his position, given his, his natural height and thus his ability to intercept the ball and, um, or, or intercept cross, etc., I think he makes a lot of crosses look sometimes worse than they are. Um, just because it is that much more difficult to to put in a floating cross that like sort of you know hits a certain height and then dips onto onto a player's head or um, you know because you know whether it be on the ground or whether it be a ball in the air like Mertesack is often very um, very alert to it he's he's extremely good at, in my opinion at, um, at dealing with those balls that are that are um, directed centrally whether um, whether they be your, your low quick balls or your cutbacks or, or the whipped balls in. Um, so I, I think that natural presence, that natural height, forces you when you're when you're seeking an attacker to play a different kind of ball because there, there's a certain height in which you know Mertesack is just always going to be favourite, however well he attacks it. Um, whereas Gabriel, as, as strong as he is, um, 
if you get a ball in like you did yesterday with with not quite so much uh, pressure um, and you've got a slight run on it and it's it's pretty 50-50 in, in the kind of position that it, it's going to, you could, you, as, you as a forward can find yourself at a, at a side advantage to actually winning it, I think. So, yeah, maybe maybe that's purely based off of, um, you know, perhaps of, of sort of like isolated incidences. But that's the general sense I get when, when watching Mertesek. And I think it's a sli- slightly understated quality. I mean, that is... You know, in theoretical terms, when you when you think about a tall centre back, that that's kind of what you would expect to be the case, and that does seem to align when I when I watch Mertesek with the, with the qualities that he does bring. And of course, he's he's you know to a certain degree rightfully um, critiqued for his lack of pace, and that can be our undoing sometimes. But I do think when we've got our backs to the wall, when we play that kind of Man City away game, when you have that you your Mertesek and your 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 cockerlands like those are the real players you need because they're able to really soak that kind of pressure the consistent repetitive types of deliveries that are brought into the into the box and I think that's where um, he really comes to life. Yeah, good point. Um, so obviously one of the factors in defence is midfield. Uh, you know, if you're rating your defending based on your back four and the goalie, then you've already done something wrong because basically you're letting them at them too often. Um, Coquelin was back, uh, looked physically very fit and sharp. I don't know if he looked match sharp to begin with. Um, Tim, what were, what were your thoughts on his performance and uh, maybe that what that means for us in the short term? Um, yeah, it was, it was another, uh, like I said earlier, there were a lot of 7 out of 10s yesterday and I thought Coquelin was much the same. It was a bit of a... Seven out of ten. Incidentally, I I nearly missed the Burnley goal really because when um when Coquelin went down and he looked really really hurt and um I was very very concerned when that happened. It was such a bizarre incident. I don't understand. Like I think Kieran Gibbs tripped him up um or something. But yeah, I I thought he was I thought he was decent. He did what you'd expect him to do. Um again, these are the three we went with in midfield. Are three guys who have never played together before. Those those three have never started a match together, um, and taking that into consideration, it didn't look hugely disjointed to me. It looked like it, it worked fine. Um, you know, not brilliant, but considering that's three strangers effectively playing together, um, that you know, it, it, it all functioned quite well. We we looked pretty decent going forward. I think maybe. The centre halves could have done with a bit more protection. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Vokes was had the beating of both our centre halves in the air, and kind of Gray was running off um, quite a bit. But yeah, I, I thought I thought Coquelin was fine. Um, you know, it was obviously the plan to give him seventy minutes or so, and uh, it would be interesting to see if he starts Tuesday night. I imagine he will. Um, that he'll want to start him for you know the, the the next two and you know just for the foreseeable future now to bring him back in. Um, he, you're right. He didn't quite look match sharp. I don't think, but he his didn't look a million miles off, away. And his yeah, uh, especially early on. I think he got it a bit later on. But to begin with, he seemed like he was half not not physically or athletically half a. A yard off, but just timing his tackle, tackles, which is obviously key to his game. But he seemed to get the rhythm of the game as it went on, a bit like Al Nenny did to some degree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and you know that that seventy minutes will have done him the world of good, and yeah. you know perhaps just shaken off that rust 
pretty much all together because, as you say, I think in the second half, particularly, he just he looked like himself um, to me. And the only reason he probably wasn't more than seven out of ten was, you know, like I said, it's it's a it's a midfield that's never played together before, and they all just looked like they were kind of um, improvising. Isn't the right word. Um, but they, you know, they they did have to kind of make it up as they went along, and I think they they did that well enough. I think you know you put him back into a slightly more familiar midfield, um, you know I think you'd you know he'd look even less kind of rusty um, than he did. So a- absolutely invaluable, and I'm just delighted that he he got up um, after um, after Kieran Gibbs kind of took him out, yeah. and uh, there were there were quite a few bumps and bruises yesterday, and actually. I think the referee let Burnley get away with quite a lot. Um, I think he was, no, you know, nothing major, but there were a lot of, you know, elbows in the back and there was a lot of pulling and I, I don't know what Giroud has to do to get a foul. Um, it seems to me so strong that referees yeah. just don't believe he can be fouled. Um, and I think the referee was a little bit invested in the idea of plucky Burnley yeah, um, you know, causing a bit of an upset, and basically every fifty-fifty decision, I think, pretty much went their way um, at times. So uh, you know, we we were kind of battling against that. Like I say, it wasn't a huge drama. There weren't huge decisions, game-changing decisions that went wrong. But I think we were swimming against the stream a little bit um, on the referee, and only only on a kind of subconscious anomaly, really. Yeah, I was pretty frustrated with the ref from that standpoint because he basically let anything short of manslaughter pass from those guys. Um, but I guess I traded off for the fact that he didn't call Koscielny in a what could be arguably a last man situation handling the ball. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, we there's another discussion we kind of had in the pub that um, a friend of mine wondered if that was a red card. I don't think so because I just don't think it's got to be a clear goal-scoring opportunity and that that there's just too much doubt there. The the speed that ball's travelling, the goalkeeper might have got it anyway. What you can say, though, I guess about that, and this is an argument I make sometimes, is that maybe the referee should use the defender's willingness to do that and say, well, the defender obviously thought it was a clear goal-scoring opportunity because they've committed the foul or the handball or whatever. And maybe the referee has, you know, some license there to say to the offending player, you obviously thought it was a clear goal-scoring opportunity because of the way you behaved. So, but, I mean, in general, I, I didn't think it was as clear-cut as that. And, you know, I kind of complained on this pod after the Chelsea game about a, a slight lack of cynicism from Arsenal players. So yeah. I'm not going to criticise Koscielny too much for that. And I, I also hope, you know, towards the end of the game when... Again, a Burnley player left his knee in Gibbs's back and on Arteta. And, yeah. you know, those guys needed treatment. And then Burnley returned the ball to the corner flag. Um, and this is something I was complaining about in the Chelsea pod um, that we should do more of. And I hope that that was a little bit illustrative um, for them, that, you know, plucky little Burnley came to the Emirates and, and you know, were quite prepared to do that. And I, yeah. I hope that kind of that's a bit of a light bulb moment for us. And I wanted to, on that topic, I wanted to bring up something you kind of addressed previously, which was when they put the knee in on Ospina. Like, yes. you, touch, you touch the goalkeeper, our players should be all over that fucker. Yeah. But 
and, but, and it was. I, I was very angry about that. I thought I, I, I thought the ball was completely dead, and the player knew it, and he kicked him. It, um, yeah, quite it was, deliberately. It was absolutely a stick the knee into the goalkeeper. The ball's over there. I'm just going to kind of rough him up a little bit, and our players mm. kind of look at it and walk away. It's like, what the fuck mm. do you have to do to get these boys riled up? Like, yeah, it, it, it's a careful balance. You got to do it as a way of working the referee or standing your ground or making a point to the other side without losing the fucking head. But we're so far down the the end of the spectrum of we will not be disrupted. We will not, you know, we won't take the bait. I think it's fucking crazy. I think there's a real opportunity for somebody like a Coquelin to take on that role of, uh, you know, the Roy Keane, we're not taking no shit from nobody and really cement his importance beyond his own his own performance in in the game his importance to the psyche of the team in the dressing room totally agree so uh james um mm-hmm. i don't know if you're ready for this but uh don't Maybe. worry it's not it's not a quiz it's uh, <laughs> it's the se- it's the second goal um i don't know if you have your arsenalist.com but uh, if you could talk, are maybe we doing, are we doing a live viewing now? We're not. Like, well, I am second actually. Second by second. Yeah, I'm actually watching okay. it here now. What I do, the the main thing I loved about the goal was Iwobi. Uh, his first touch out to the left to Alexis to start the counter attack from deep. Uh, he plays a nice ball with his left. I know I should really be asking Tim that, but uh, don't <laughs> wear the boy out. He he loves a two footed player. So his first pass out out to the left is with his right, sorry. And then a second pass out to the right um, to, just watching it now. Uh, to Alex. Yeah, to Alex is with his left. Both perfectly weighted, both moving the play forward. Very dynamic, very Rosicki, some might say. And I think, you know, overall, I think his movement and El Nenny's was really what I think gave Burnley such a hard time during the game, but in this game you really see Iwobi stitching it together. What, what, talk us through that. Uh, what I've left of that second goal, and uh, uh, and the other gems. Obviously, you got uh, Alexis. By the way, are you going with Alexis or Alexi? Because you're you're back and forward in those two. I, I am would, I? Am I? Well, I would you know, counsel Alexis. Alexi and, uh, yeah, don't do that. Alexi is is perfecto. Okay, let's do it. I will be. I mean, I think we've talked a lot about Iwobi. I think he's, you know, his touch Talk is very. He's a. He's very. You know, he's very confident for a player. He's got a very steady touch. He, he really does seem to have a lot of the the chops um, required for a player to um, to you know to to make it and you know perhaps make it at Arsenal. He's he, he's wonderfully two footed as as you discuss. He's, he's got this. You know this ability to. He's very efficient with the ball at his feet. You know when he drives at players, he um, he's he's able to sort of quite last minute be able to with with quite a lot of confidence sort of take on a player and and, and then distribute um, sort of drawing the man. And um, he's extremely exciting to watch. But he also you know he stitches the play together very nicely, which is which is really one of the key components I think you'd want from a um, a number ten. And I thought it was actually a wonderful counter-attacking move. It was, you know, sweeping right from the edge of our area. A lot of good interplay. Um, Giroud, who didn't have, you know, 
a game where there was too much to talk about. A uh, you know, as as was discussed, you you know, he, he was a player that, that found it quite tough against uh, um, you know a Burnley side that were willing to to leave a, a leave a little there. Yeah. Um, and without much assistance from the ref. But, and in um, fact, let me jump in on that. So, uh, Elliot from the grave, the other thing, he, uh, he never never leaves a Giroud unturned. So, uh, one of his bitches about Giroud yesterday, didn't think he had a good game, uh, wanted him to take on the shot and the attacking movement much more, uh, less flicks, less less farting around, you know, stop being such a generous player and go for it. But when you look at this goal, one of the key pieces, you know, Iwobi passes to Alexis, who spots a a beautiful forward ball, as Tim was talking about, to Giroud, very direct. And Giroud, instead of attacking them, because he doesn't have the pace, which was my point, does a little back heel to Iwobi, which opens up the whole play. So, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a lovely touch. I mean, you know, it, it's a really nice goal because... A, you, you have Iwobi, who's, you know, he plays a good part in it at the, at the early stage of, um, of the play um, and then distributes it to Alex uh, before Alexi scores. Um, Alexi makes a nice drive from within hour and a half, um, pushing into, um, into Burnley's and, 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 and sort of and, and pushing the ball forward into Giroud, into, into that area. And lovely sort of one-touch interplay. And it was, it was actually a delicious ball from Alex. I wonder how much yeah. of it he meant, but like the actual the shape of it, the way he cut it back. I mean, it really just fell on a plate for Alexi um, in a move in which he felt, generally speaking, given his kind of form, you know, often it may have been a ball that was you know slightly over here, you know, might have found the first man, but it was a very well thought out, well, a very precise delivery, um, and kind of and caught the Burnley players off guard. It was a you know it was a really really good ball from Alex. So I thought I had a pretty solid game. Um, a, a good game for him. I thought so. I think Perhaps it was one of his best. I still saw a lot of people complaining about him. Um, I mean, again, you can say it was a cup game. Burnley saw a little bit different, but uh, where Tim's given everybody seven out of ten, I probably give almost everybody eight out of ten. Uh, but maybe you got to subtract one because because of the day and the you know the Premier League is always just more of a slog that that kind of pulls people back a little bit. Um, right, well, if you're going 8 out of 10, I'll, I'll sort of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find the middle of the ground and go, you know, 7.5 out of 10. Boo, pussy. <laughs> Tim? I, I thought, I, I kind of agree with Elliot, actually. I thought Giroud was quite disappointing um, yesterday, probably the only player that really was. I had a fair amount of sympathy just in that um, he looked like he missed Ramsey to me in terms of it took the midfielders a long time to join him, which meant that, you know, a lot of these flicks and back heels and stuff didn't come off because he was waiting for so long for somebody to, to get up and help him. Um, and whereas I think Ramsey would have been there in a flash and, and might have had a goal or two playing next to him yesterday. That said, I think Elliot's absolutely right in that situation. He should have been, you know, much more single-minded and gone for goal himself. And that's a, a streaky he started to get into that habit. And so, yeah, yesterday I think was a little bit concerning, again, that uh, with not that much support, um, it was it, he would have had every right to be a bit more single-minded. Um, and I think it also speaks to, I know I've written and spoken about this a lot, but 
the fact that Alexis and Giroud just don't have any sort of on-pitch relationship um, because, you know, Alexis isn't the guy to run onto those flicks or run past Giroud. He, he doesn't really play like that. Um, and so, basically, I think Giroud was disappointing. I don't think the players around him um, really suited uh, his game and what he was able to provide. Um, and he just wasn't really able to mix it up. To the like back heels and flip, I understand why people get annoyed about them, um, and like when Ramsey does them and, and stuff like that. But I think people get a bit too exercised about, um, you know, a back heel not hitting the mark as a you know more so than a pass that doesn't hit the mark. I don't think it really matters. It's just a way of delivering the ball. And quite often, if you've got players around you and you know you've got two defenders up your ass, a back heel is usually the best way to go because it catches catches uh, defenders off guard so I wouldn't obsess too much about the fact that they were they were back heels and flicks that weren't coming off and more that they were just passes um, that weren't coming off. Yeah, fully agree on the flicks and tricks. I mean redirecting play with the flick uh, can often open things wide open. It, it's risky but there's a reward off it so uh, I certainly think people get way too wound up on that shit especially when it doesn't work out. But I have to point out Tim, the whole point of a pod like today where we don't have Elliot is so that we can represent his points and then absolutely rubbish them without him <laughs> having to come back. Uh, I don't yeah. know what the uh, hell you're playing uh, at here. This was not the plan. <laughs> So there's actually loads more we could talk about, but we won't. Um, what we really should do is is say, uh, what did we learn from yesterday, if anything, in terms of uh, our upcoming match against Southampton? Does that change? Let's talk, I guess, mainly about the midfield, because that that's could, could be where the big change is. What do we think is going to happen in terms of midfield and uh, both for Southampton and looking forward you know did anybody uh, I would guess Iwobi is still just a little too far away from the first team for it obviously he did himself a load of good but it probably won't change him in the first 11 but what about Coquelin Elneny, Ramsey um, Tim your thoughts on Southampton our midfield and then maybe even from there on, uh, what you think the midfield will be and what you I, think you'd like it to be? I think it will be Coquelin, Ramsey and Ozil. Um, I think Wenger's going to give that a chance. Uh, he's going to give those three a chance and give them a run of games together. I still see Elneny as being a kind of backup Um whether that's concerning or not for Southampton, because Southampton seems to be one of those teams that has our number. Mm. They play that high-pressing game, um, which we kind of struggle to cope with. And, you know, it's been a long time since we've had anything other than a very tough time against Southampton. So um, kind of expecting the same again. Um, you know, without that kind of real distributor there, um, we might struggle. But then again... Um, you know, I think having a player like Coquelin will be very, very important for that because I think he can kind of stand up to that, um, as it were. Um, so I, I think I think those three are going to get every chance, and it's it's probably what I would do. It's I think it's the safest bet. I don't think it's ideal. Um, it's not 100% ideal, but it's. 
better than what we've been going with for, for the last month or so. Mm. Uh, basically, Coquelin and Ramsey is going to work better than Flamini and Ramsey, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, and it, it might not be 100%, you know, bang on, but I think it will do a job. Um, and I think particularly when you've got a player like Alexis back in the starting lineup. You know, I, I was probably, well, I was certainly guilty of not really paying enough mind to just how much we missed him. Um, and I think it really came through yesterday. I, I really, really think that without him yesterday, it would have been quite a big struggle. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got a goal and an assist. And that goal, by the way, that finish is absolutely emphatic. A That's peach. a brilliant finish. Um, you know, there's just no messing around there. And... Um, I think, you know, he is the best finisher um, at the club. Um, you know, I know people have said that about Walcott in the past and have never been truly convinced. And, and he had a really, really good chance to get himself on the score sheet yesterday, which he didn't take. But, you know, Alexis just doesn't mess around um, in that kind of scenario. He really puts some welly behind it. You very rarely see him shoot over the bar. Um, he gets a lot of power, but he, he keeps it down as well. Um so I think having him back as well will make the fact that we're probably not going to have the ideal midfield partnership. It will reduce the impact of that because um, we'll probably have a much better forward line um, or a forward line that's a bit more familiar um, and works a bit better. Um, so I think you know those things together, it won't be perfect, but it, it never is when you've got a player as good as Santi Cazorla and as, as important as Santi Cazorla missing. Um, that's why, you know, certain players are squad players because they're not as good as the first option. But I think this will be a lot better. Um, I think Coquelin and Ramsey are both experienced and savvy enough as well to understand maybe what's missing in their partnership and to try and make amends for it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not hugely concerned um, about it now. I think, you know, the whole Flamini ramsey thing we had to get through by necessity, but it was really becoming clear that it was starting to become quite a big problem for us. Yeah. Um, and I just think some distance and some fresh air from that um, will, will make the world of difference. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think that's how the midfield would line up. I think that's how it should line up. Um, and I think it will work better. Yeah. I love the sneaky way you got the jab in at Walcott, which I have, like, reams to say about, but no time to address. So, very clever of you, Tim. Very subtle. <laughs> um, James, uh, what are your thoughts on our midfield partnership? The, the one thing I would say is, uh, if I let myself get carried away and was naive and just took it off one game, I'd be super excited to see Coquelin El Nenny going forward. But, uh, you know, a little wisdom and experience would say you can't get carried away on one game. What's your thoughts sure. on I mean, the short, medium term nice, for the midfield? It provides a nice stability, and I honestly like it wouldn't surprise me if if that was a change or something to make. Probably bringing off Ozil and, and sitting El Nene and Coquelin in the middle with Ramsey just ahead, um, as he likes to do in the in the latter parts of the game, and maybe El Nene will start to be the first choice ahead of Arteta as as to. Uh, uh, as the player that sort of brought in for that role, um, yeah, I mean, I think you know the game demonstrated. Like I said, I thought it was a, it was a good game to start bringing players back in. It really showed the the squad looks at 
pretty replenished now. I mean, when you think about the kind of subs we had, given a couple of the players that were um, out in, uh, were, were rested, and I know Rosicki's picked up an, another injury, which is which is a real shame, and, and uh, similar news for Jack, which is really disheartening. Unfortunately, I, you know, it has reached a stage where I, I kind of have written those two players off. Anyway, so, is really being able to contribute too much to the squad. So, and I think know, the... ju- just on that point, James, I console myself with the idea that last season when Jack was coming back, Arson, I don't know if he said he he'll need eight games or after four or five games, he said he'll need two or three more games to get back to his full self because yeah. Jack was getting a bit of shit for not being up to speed. Um, and these were, you know, seven or eight starts that Jack was going to need, not seven or eight appearances, many of which were off the bench. So when you think about that in this season, we don't... The reality is we were never going to have the luxury of reintroducing Wiltshire in a meaningful way, which, you know, not to speak ill of the dead, I mean, uh, obviously we all have a great affinity for Jack, but the reality is I don't think that's... It's costing him a lot. I don't know that it's costing us. It might have cost us something trying to get him into the team this year. Uh, Rosicki, in a way might have been the bigger loss for us in that, to me, he strikes me as a player who, you know, his first game back, he might be a little rusty and his touch might be off. But by a second game, uh, maybe he's not a starter, but we probably don't need either of them as starters. We need 20 or 30 minutes off the bench to make a difference. Uh, and maybe Rosicki even the bigger loss there. But sorry, that's a that's a slightly different point. Perhaps, but, you know, I think, you know, well, once you bring in your own nanny and, um, if Arteta is, you know, I thought Arteta actually looked very solid yeah, for those again, minutes. It's, it's um, kind of the second or third time he's been back this season where he comes on for a few minutes and I thought, oh, he could be useful. And then I remember, you know, <laughs> to, one more game and something will twang on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I feel a lot. I feel like the squad is now in a good place for this, this run in for the season. Um, you know, with us, with us, so it's never too far away from from returning to sort of crisis mode. But I feel very good about it now. I feel that that, that game is is just what those players needed. Um, and I'm not, you know, the problem is the the Cochrane Ramsey debate is often um, caught up in in the West Ham defeat, which I don't know how representative that is. Um, still, some question, you know, people still had some question marks with Cochrane at that stage as well, whether. It was just a flash in the pan. Um, I'm not convinced his distribution's as poor. We, Paul, I think we've talked about this decent amount. I think his distribution's actually pretty solid. It is an Arteta. Um, it might not be the old Nene type um, in the middle that Ramsey perhaps flourishes alongside. That being said, I think it could be quite a dynamic combo in, in, in the amount that Ramsey likes to get forward and just how much security Coquelin adds in the middle of the park. Um, and if they, if you can build that confidence between the two of them, um, I'm not sure it's it's a, it's a particularly inefficient pairing with the ball at their feet. So I don't think, uh, it, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure if I agree with those that, that are, are too cautious about that pairing. I think it could work quite well, um, and so I'm excited to see that. As I I think I've referenced before, the you know where the season could you know where you could turn the season as if. Alexi coming back is absolutely massive. I don't understate it. It is huge to have a fully rested Alexi back now. I'm so ex- you know just seeing Alexi again. I mean, two um, month winter break as Arson said. 
Exactly. I mean, you know, even if you look at that free kick, I mean, just the technique he has, he's just so consistent, such a consistent presence. He even had his typical um, cut inside shoot across um, into the, in, you know, towards the inside of the post early on. Um, you know, he, he's just such a dangerous player. He, uh, he adds so much to this team. And, you know, if somehow you can also bring out something closer to a, a top level Ramsey, um, which, you know, I think he's he, he sort of come and gone in, in form thus far and perhaps that's a lot to do with his, his midfield partner um, or the type of partner alongside him and if he can form a symbiotic relationship with that of Francis and, or Francois then um, yeah, I think I think that's that's, that, that's a lot to be excited about so uh, I feel fair, you know, I feel like it's quite an exciting period of the season and if, if, if this group now can stay pretty fit you've got a lot of versatility you've got a lot of ability to rotate you've got a lot of ability to change um the the setup given the t- given um, you know whatever the result is of of a match at you know the sixty sixty odd minute mark before we you look at that eleven and think like well if you go behind like, you're the eleven that's going to have to pull us back into it because we didn't really have any legitimate attacking options but now Walcott probably reverts back to the bench um, and <laughs> unless he plays centre forward which I, I'm all for I'm all for the Alexi Walcott with Giroud on the bench so don't take me wrong. Um, but yeah, I th- you know, there's there's uh, there's a lot more on offer. Assuming this group can now stay stay fit, and I think it, I think it, we could be prospectively headed for a decent patch of the season. But uh, the players have got to demonstrate that now. Cool. Right. It's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, James. Thanks, Tim. Uh, onwards and upwards. Okay. Southampton next. Talk midweek, Tim. Probably uh, James. Maybe yep. next weekend. Thanks, guys. Hopefully. Cheers, Cheers guys. Bye. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.